Welcome to Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered. Today, the results are in for Joe Biden's classified documents case and the details of the DOJ's report. I'm just going to tell you, it leaves major questions unanswered as to what the Democrats are going to do next. Are they going to pivot to the statement that we all know, which is Joe Biden is mentally unfit for presidency. Also, the Supreme Court hears oral arguments on whether Donald Trump should be disqualified from the presidential ballot in Colorado. And the way it went may surprise you. There's so many surprises we have to get into today. Uh, An example of who needs enemies with friends like these as Senate Republicans vote to send more of your money to Ukraine. But first, I just have to ask, do you feel safe when you fly? Do you trust that the FAA and the airlines are vetting the best of the best, you know, I mean, taking seriously that you're in a giant metal tube 40,000 feet up in the air and you could just plummet to your death at any minute if you don't have the right people in charge of every detail of that flight or that plane? Well, The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh has obtained internal footage of senior officials at the FAA's Flight Programs Operations Division. This is a division which let me just let me just spell this out for you. OK, the division is responsible for all aspects of aircraft operations. And these people, these senior officials We're workshopping a plan to reduce the number of white males in aviation with the FAA acting deputy chief operating officers, Angela McCullough, saying that more baggage handlers need to become airline pilots. Watch. And and we're looking at that, but we're also looking at really a need across the agency to recruit and retain a diverse uh, population of folks. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, how much that adds to to the the process. Um, What what do you think are some of the key points that we need to remember uh, as we as we embark on this challenge going forward? Oh, that oh, that's uh, that's a pretty good um, a pretty good question. I think one of one of the things we need to now is that everyone else is embarking on the same thing, right? Just across the system. So competition is going to be um, competition is going to be it's just going to be really heavy, right? So, a, I think we um, we need to know that. I think it's going to take some um, some creativity. You heard uh, Tim say, and he and I had talked about, and we're going to you all is, you know, are there opportunities for any partnerships um, with uh, universities or trade schools that specialize? Um, we kind of talked about from you know ramp to cockpit. Is there some things that we would want to look at um, there? Now, she goes on to say that the industry is, of course, white male dominated and to change the future, some people just might have to get a little uncomfortable, to which the FAA's VP of Flight Program Operations, David Riggins, agrees with her. Watch. But, um, yeah, we need to be willing to, to have a conversation about kind of what's standing in our way from approaching some of these things Um uh, differently than we have historically approached them. And just even the internal bias, I mean, particularly in flight ops, it, this, the, your whole program is very heavily male dominated. It just is. And really it is white male dominated. It, it, I mean, let's just say what it is. And so let's be willing that is today 
what it is. And then let's talk about what could the future look like if, if, if we really had this program that was representative of the whole um, country, right, of, of the whole world. And um, sometimes those are challenging or you know difficult, or I would say people get a little bit uncomfortable um, um, talking about that. And um, per like, hey, we're not going to make change unless we get a little bit uncomfortable. And let's be uncomfortable together and let's do the right things and support each other moving forward. So I don't know if you wanted all that, but you got it, sir. Nope. No, Angela, I didn't. That's great. Honestly, um, those, those are some words that, that we really need to spend some time, I think, kind of digging through and, and, and thinking about. Oh, is it? Wow. A beta white male agreeing to his own demise so he doesn't piss off the black woman. Oh, how stunning and brave. Everyone give a round of applause for David Riggins. But I just want to remind you guys, DEI hiring is for all minorities, not just black people, of course. That that wouldn't be inclusive enough. You wouldn't go far enough if it was only these DEI programs were only for black people. Now, a pilot for Delta actually sent a text to Matt that went even further than that, telling him, we recently had a transgender pilot repeatedly receive negative feedback during his first year probationary period from captains he flew with regarding his attitude, CRM and judgment. Yet the chief's pilot office was unwilling to address the issue. Had this not been a transgender pilot, the individual uh, would likely have not successfully completed their probationary period. Coincidentally, that CPO has a management pilot on staff who recently transitioned who is able to weigh in on these matters. That's great. Awesome. So the inmates are running the asylum. Uh, The mentally ill are the ones now in charge of your safety. What could possibly go wrong? But wait, there's more. Matt also says the source notes that Delta makes exceptions for trans identifying pilots concerning grooming and behavioral standards. Internally, Delta has even published a lengthy guide for pilots who believe they were born in the wrong body. I'm so glad an airline is publishing pieces guides for pilots who believe they were born in the wrong body because that's totally Delta's lane, right? And still another source whose job it is to design military systems says he is constantly sidetracked by DEI proposals like gender inclusive seatbelts, which I would love to know what, like how, how do you make a seatbelt more gender inclusive? What, what, is, what designs are we changing here uh, to fit body parts that are designed to be gender inclusive? I'm not, I'm going to need a like kind of a flow chart or maybe a blueprint for that. But uh, Matt said further with this email that he received, it said companies are made up of two types of individuals, those who eat, sleep and breathe DEI and ESG, the pronoun in their email signature people, and those who keep their mouths shut and do the work. We have affirmation groups, protections and heritage months for every single type of person except white men. If I don't have at least two DEI ESG meetings or trainings per week in my calendar, then all hands town hall meetings have some sort of DEI baked into the agenda. We constantly have lunches, dinners, happy hours, movie nights, holiday celebrations, all in the name of DEI led by ESG champions while the rest of us try to get our work done. Uh, Are the alarm bells going off in your head yet like they are in mine? Hey, 
you know what's a great idea? Instead of hiring off of, you know, merit and experience and expertise, let's just bring in a bunch of people who can't understand the basic principle that boys have a penis and girls have a vagina and sign them up to like fly your plane. Do you too have poor judgment, lack discernment and have mental problems coupled with mood instability? Step right up and into the pilot seat. What could possibly go wrong? Doors being blown off planes in the middle of flights because whoever was in charge of the bolts was incompetent. That's happening. And in totally unrelated news, I am sure two JetBlue planes collided on the tarmac at Boston's Logan International Airport when a Las Vegas bound plane's left wing collided with an Orlando bound plane, rendering them both, of course, out of service. But hey, I'm sure it's just a total coincidence that JetBlue also has a DEI hiring program. They state directly on their website, here at JetBlue, diversity goes beyond ethnicity, race, and geography. Integrity is one of our values, after all, and we celebrate all our differences, whether they relate to our backgrounds, ages and abilities, our approaches, or our gender identities every day. We live our mission to inspire humanity as a leader in inclusion. JetBlue is a proud, equal opportunity employer, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because we think it's more fun that way, too. JetBlue Equals represents our diversity and inclusion efforts as an organization. We believe that the unique and shared identities, experiences, and thoughts of our crew members, customers, and communities are a tremendous asset that can help grow and strengthen our business. Now, I want to be very clear here. Um, I don't need you to be fun. I don't need you to celebrate my differences. I don't need you to talk about my unique or shared identities and experiences. I don't need you to inspire humanity. I don't need you to do any of that, JetBlue or Delta or United or any of these airplane organizations, airlines. I don't need you to do that. I just need you to land the plane safely. That's lit- this is literally the definition of you had one job. You have one job. You fly the plane down the run. You drive it down the runway. You take it off. You fly it safely and you land. And you do that without hurting or killing anyone or putting them in harm's way. It's literally your only job. And somehow... We've become, you know, we're not a meritocracy anymore. We've become a society who hires based off of race. I would love to see the lawsuits begin to Delta and JetBlue and United and now Disney with Gina Carano. We need more lawsuits for these organizations to remind them that it is very illegal to hire based off of these principles. And in many cases, when you're dealing with an airlines, deadly to have that kind of policy. All right, when we get back, I want to get into uh, the classified documents scandal. The DOJ has released its report. And I have some questions about what they actually included in this report. Uh, But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Relief Factor. So if you are someone who lives with a lot of pain, you understand that it's it affects every asset, uh, every facet of your life, because 
you know, you could get uh, grumpier with your spouse. Maybe you snap at your kids. You don't have as much patience because you're walking around just constantly with this pain nagging at you. I understand that because I have um, some protruding discs that I got when I was in a car accident many years ago. And I understand what it's like. And I also understand what it's like to get out of pain. It was life changing for me. And Relief Factor has played a big role in that because Relief Factor is an all natural anti-inflammatory that actually targets the root cause of your pain, which is the inflammation in our bodies is causing that. And I know many of you men out there are like, oh, all natural. I'm no hippie. I'm not trying that. Well, let me tell you this. It works for Glenn Beck. It works for me. It's worked for so many people in this building. And 70% of the people who buy their three-week quick start go on to keep ordering it. So it's working for the majority of people. The odds are in your favor. It will work for you as well. Uh, I encourage you to go to their website, relieffactor.com. Get that three-week quick start. You're going to know within the first three weeks if it works for you. The odds are in your favor that it is. And it can be life-changing to get you out of pain. So go over to that website. It is relieffactor.com. Welcome to the program, uh, DEI expert himself, John Doyle. True. Uh, a man of many hats. Um, yeah. Also I host mean, of Heck Off Commie. That's true. Yeah, that, that's, that's more like a part-time thing, but yeah. A DEI expert is very real. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. So, um, John, I, I want to get into what's going on with the Joe Biden classified document investigation, but um, your thoughts on the madness that is going on right now with all these airlines that are hiring based on DEI, Mark Cuban's like, oh, yeah, I love DEI. We're only exclusively using DEI hiring practices. I feel like we're a train that's about to run off the track at this point. Yeah, I think uh, in the last 10 years or so since the Obama administration declared that we need to change FAA guidelines to have more participation of traditionally uh, non-pilot types into becoming pilot types or air traffic controller types, you've had a, a doubling in near collisions. Um, I think the last time we had a fatal collision was something in like 2009. But in the last 10 years or so, uh, it's doubled. And it's almost, I think, 300 every year near misses in the sense that like, I think I don't know exactly what the metric is. Maybe it's 100 feet, 150 feet, planes getting close to each other. All I need to know is it's a near miss that I don't I don't want I don't need a near miss. And so I was on a flight actually leaving uh, out of Dallas, Fort Worth about a week or so ago. And there was a gentleman who was in my row who was sort of voicing concern to no one in particular about flight delays. And so I thought that I'd clocked a friend. And so I was like, yeah, crazy. I mean, I fly a lot for work and I've been all these delays. And so we're talking. And then the second I got into that territory where I was like, you know, the Obama administration actually lowered requirements and they wanted to take more into account like a prospective applicant's experience with high school athletics as opposed to their test scores and things like that. Once I got into that territory, he was just, well, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. He just like, shut it down. No. I was, I, I was like in Fight Club when he's like, I prayed for a crash. Like anything to happen. I was like, you coward. <laughs> you didn't want to take it there. So at this point, so the country gets what it deserves. I mean, uh, truly, because it's like, how can anyone think that that's a way to run your airlines business or the FAA itself? Like it's not even just United and Delta and all these. It's the FAA. It's the entire federal agency that is in charge of aviation who's like, you know what? It turns out we think we're just going to hire the crazy people instead. Yeah. We'll just see what happens. 
don't know. Maybe it'll turn out fine. I'm, I was already petrified to fly. Now I'm like, there's absolutely no way. My husband was talking to me about summer vacation and he kept naming these places. And I was like, honestly, I just, I, I just really don't. Yeah, I I, re- I really don't. It's just not worth it to me right now. <laughs> I feel like we're in a period of like it has to get worse before it gets better. And I don't want to be the sucker who tries to take a trip to Florida and yeah. ends up dead. I'm imagining a scenario where like the plane starts to go down and you just like rush the cockpit and everyone's like, th- th- he must be a pilot. He's going to see. No, I'm just trying to see if my bias is correct. <laughs> like, I'm just going to walk out of the cabin with just the look on my face like I knew. What'd you find out? It's like, I don't even want to say it. Just, yeah, like, I can die with a sense of peace like knowing that my preconceived biases were correct i literally every time something like this happens i'm like we need a picture we need a picture every t- every time there's like um a white person who like uh assaults a black person we always see the picture you yeah. know they, they always make it make sure to, to sh- either show you a picture or include their name and they're like his name was david smith wink yeah. wink and i feel like every time now we have anything go wrong in the airlines industry we need a picture yeah. i need a picture i need a name of who did it i need to know who didn't put the bolt in that door of the alaska airlines flight that like they just blew off mid-flight i need to know who this is because otherwise i'm just going to assume that i'm correct and it's a dei hire yeah, and people don't understand how deep the roots of dei go. I mean, even if the vocab term wasn't exactly the same in practice, these hiring things have been going on for like 50 years. I remember I was in a fight with people about the moon landing this week on Twitter. And I was talking about how NASA has actually been infected by DEI, which is a more reasonable explanation for the discontinuation of space travel than just like they faked it or something. And someone was like, "The, the Apollo programs ended in 1972. That was way before DEI. And I was like, Brother, the (laughs) Equal Employment Act, which effectively made merit-based hiring illegal, that was 1973. I mean, you had the Civil Rights Act in 64, like all these things. And then uh, Lyndon Johnson had an executive order on affirmative action hiring. Like these things have been going on for decades. And people are just now catching wind of it, thankfully. But, you know, the rod is very deep. So I want to switch gears here and make sure that we talk about this breaking news this afternoon. The DOJ released uh, their investigation into Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents. And the assessment is so wild to me. So it's no shock that they decided they did not recommend bringing charges against him. But the way in which they wrote the report about Joe Biden, uh, it's Basically, he's an elderly man with a really bad memory. So in interviews, Biden became muddled about the dates he was vice president and could not even remember the year in which his son, Bo, died. And by the way, makes a lot of sense as to why he can't remember how Bo died, because this is the son that he keeps saying died in Iraq and he died at home from brain cancer. So two very different things. Uh, It says his cavalier attitude to classified documents, such as his habit of reading sensitive files to a ghostwriter, posed uh, a national significant national security risk still somehow they did not recommend bringing charges against him but they said because he will likely present himself to a jury as he did in our interview with him as a sympathetic well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory yeah this is wild to me they said he did not remember when he was vice president forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended he said uh, he was quoted as saying in in this report, if it was 20, if, if it was 2013, when did I stop being vice president and forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began in 20 in 2009? Am I still vice president? He reportedly said he did not remember even within several years. Like I said, when his son Bo died, he was also hazy on the debate around withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. 
the list goes on. So they said, the DOJ's report said, we also expect many jurors to be struck by the place where the Afghanistan documents were ultimately found in Mr. Biden's Delaware home in a badly damaged box in the garage near a collapsed dog crate, a dog bed, a Zappos box, an empty bucket, a broken lamp wrapped with duct tape, potting soil and synthetic firewood. This is again, I understand. I Nobody expected them to actually bring uh, re- recommend bringing charges. Yeah, but. A, they're saying that there's plenty of evidence to suggest he was aware he was not allowed to keep classified handwritten notes after leaving office. But they're just like, well, I mean, we just think when people actually hear him, a jury's not a jury's just going to feel sorry for him. He's an elderly man with a poor memory. He's also running the country. Are we going to all are we in agreement that that's a problem now? Is that where this is headed? Is that why they were like, well, we won't bring charges, but we're going to leave enough breadcrumbs that the Democrats can pick up and finally shoo him out of the way? I don't think so. I think the Democrats love having Joe Biden as president because I think I've made this point before on the show. If you have somebody like Barack Obama, that's somebody who is still an ideologue and a political actor, and he has a certain way that he wants things done. It's almost like a brilliant opportunity when you've got someone like Joe Biden who has the name recognition. He still does kind of have that swagger about him, you know, if you can present him in a very particular way and keep him very, you know, removed from live appearances and things like that. He's got that smile. He can still, for some reason, appeal to blue collar workers. That's like a perfect opportunity because you get Biden in there and he can't do anything. He doesn't actually know what's going on, let alone how to govern as the chief executive of a country. So what that allows for is it allows for his administration, his administration to take the reins and do everything as they will, as the swamp wants, as the swamp elders want. Whereas you've got someone like Obama. I mean, he famously didn't get along with a lot of people who now Joe Biden, of course, gets along very well with because he's literally just there to be this sort of um, liquid. You know, he fits. He does what he needs to do. He has no idea what's going on. And we kind of think of that as a way to, like, insult him. Like, Joe Biden doesn't know what's going on. So if we get Biden out of office, everything is okay. Well, he doesn't know what's going on and things are, are, are going terribly because that allows for that to sort of fill the vacuum, that DC power vacuum, for it to sort of just, uh, you know, return to the regularly scheduled programming, as opposed to if you had someone in there who at least offers a little bit of some sort of, you know, autonomy and where things are going. But Joe Biden just doesn't do that. Well, I mean, <clears throat> look, it, it they're so brazen, too, about... Again, I I didn't expect for them to be like, oh, we recommend pressing full charges against the president of the United States. But they're just so blatant and arrogant about the two-tier justice system that you have the unprecedented raid at Mar-a-Lago where they took all of Trump's documents and made this big deal about it. Uh, They're prosecuting him for it uh, or investigating him for it and all of this. and, And they're saying that Donald Trump was so evil. He knew what he was doing. He had no right to these classified documents. But then they're also saying when it comes to Joe Biden, oh, this poor old man. I mean, he's elderly. Don't worry about it. He did know. He did willfully retain them. And he wouldn't, by the way, as vice president, even have the ability to declassify them. But I, we don't want to, come on. We don't want to hurt the guy's feelings. He doesn't have very many years left. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the benefits of uh, of being in power. You get to enjoy that exemption, whereas the people who are not in power, your opposition, you get to apply like very almost comically exaggerated, you know, charges against them uh, and, and try to lock them up in prison for the rest of forever. But that's also something to keep in mind, because, you know, as you often point out, we like to take the moral high ground and think that we're better oh. than them. We're principled. When we get in power, not only should we, but we reasonably could bring up charges of sedition and treason 
and human trafficking yes. against the people, the people not only in, in office, but the people who are employed at these NGOs who are facilitating maps, resources, dollars to get migrants from all over the world through the southern border into the country. You could easily get some kid fresh out of a state law school bringing up charges of treason and conspiracy, all these things against them and throw them in jail forever. Yep. And that, you know, that's like a reasonable, we would go farther and think of like, you know, the, the things to get like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. But in terms of like the real meat and potatoes of it, that's easy. And they not only ignore that, they only go for that exaggerated stuff towards our guys. Yes. Well, right. And I think that there is some sort of the the psychology behind it is that, oh, well, we already know what our plan is. And so we're going to accuse them of doing this, knowing that they're going to feel too bad about accusing us of doing the same thing, except we're actually doing it. Yeah. Like like what you're saying about sedition and, and treasonous behavior and all of this, I like uh, they're clearly doing it at the southern border. They are yeah. absolutely you could make the legal argument that they are doing that at the southern border. The two tier justice system that we're talking about, they are very clearly targeting not just Donald Trump, but the average conservative. Like if you're a pro-life conservative, pro peacefully protesting, be prepared to go to federal prison for 11 years. And so it's just so it's I said yesterday, it's loser mentality like yeah. that is loser mentality to be like, oh, well, we don't we can't stoop to their level. OK, are you still going to say that when you're in the freaking gulag? Yeah, we live under a very vicious tyranny that if you had like a sort of tabled comparison is, is not dissimilar at all from the tyrannies that we saw in the 20th century. And I'd argue that ours is actually worse in a way because it's not obvious. You know, we think of tyranny in this very like, oh, you know, it's one flag and, and you know, everything is owned by the state and it's all one thing. Our tyranny is it's all this cumulative ideological power. But just because, you know, CNN and MSNBC are technically separate entities from the federal government, therefore it's different it's not different it's all the same and it enjoys that benefit that plausible deniability because it, it can say well, well come on we're not like you know the communists we're not like the fascists because we have you know liberal democracy no we don't we don't have liberal democracy it's the same thing and it's actually harder to solve because if you have a problem with a king or a dictator there's your guy yeah. no one knows who's in charge i mean we don't know if it's the deep state we don't know if it's brandon we don't know who to go after we don't know if we can solve the problem by just electing another president or what even is the way forward yeah, I, <clears throat> I'm going to disagree with you a little bit just because... Unwise. Foolish. Well, well, I agree with your opinion, I, but I just have to believe that... I mean, they knew that this was going to be released publicly. Why would, they, why would they say all of these things and paint the picture that they're handing Donald Trump the talking point of like, if, this, if they're admitting this guy is too senile yeah. to, to, to stand on trial for things he actually did... Surely he's too senile to be the president of the United States. I mean, it's like they're delivering talking points on a platter. And I yeah. just I just have to they're so calculated and so corrupt and so evil. I just ha I, I have to believe that every move that they make is like it's intentional. I think it's because they know that they can get away with it, um, legally speaking, but also their voters are not voting for Joe Biden. They are not enthused yeah, by Joe right. Biden. They hate Donald They're Trump. They're voting against Donald Trump. So, I mean, the, you know, they they see the clips occasionally on social media. They're aware. They maybe watch the conferences where this guy, you know, stumbles through a monologue. They're aware that this guy, they won't admit it, but they have to be aware 
of his decline to a certain extent. Yeah. So insofar as they're voting for Brandon, it's because they don't want Republicans. And this is, they don't even pretend to be able to deliver a better material standard of living for their voters anymore. Like right. Democrats don't even campaign on saying we can make your life better. All of their advertisements are, look at the evil Nazis, look at the evil conservatives. Yeah. They've given up on even pretending that their ideas work. Everything is just, yeah, but if we can own Sarah Gonzalez, it's worth like not being able to go outside because you're afraid of being killed by a cartel. Right. It's worth having to pay more for groceries. It's worth not having a car. It's worth all of that. If you can just own your racist uncle who made you cry that one time at Thanksgiving in 1994, like that's their entire governing philosophy. So, okay. So to that point, I want to, we're going to take a, a break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about, uh, speaking of Donald Trump and the two tier justice system, the oral arguments that have begun in his appeal to the Supreme court to stay on the presidential ballot. We'll be right back. So the Supreme Court heard arguments today, oral arguments, uh, on Donald Trump's appeal regarding Colorado's decision to remove him from their official presidential ballot. Now, they say, they claim that their decision was based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which is, of course, the Insurrection Clause. It's almost like that this was the plan the whole time. As soon as they lured these people in with all of the Fed boys in the crowd on January 6th, that they were like, oh, this is what we're going to do for next time so that he can't do it again. Uh, so Trump's lawyers are arguing that Section 3 only prevents someone from holding office, not from running for office or being elected because Congress can remove a Section 3 disqualification at any time. And when you talk about, well, first of all, he didn't engage in any insurrection and he hasn't been charged with insurrection. He has not been convicted of insurrection. So you obviously can't do that. But it was interesting to listen to because you talk about the two-tiered weapon, uh, the two-tiered justice system and the weaponization of the judicial branch of government. And I really walked into this process not feeling very strong about Trump, Trump's uh, the ruling on this. Like, I, I don't really trust John Roberts. I don't feel very strongly about, um, you know, the conservatives that we have on there other than like Alito and Clarence Thomas. And so I was like, honestly, I have no idea how this is going to shake out. But listening to the arguments taking place, you even had Ketanji Brown Jackson pushing back and asking questions. You even had Elena Kagan asking them questions. And I want to play, we're having some tech issues right now, so I'm going to play it directly from my phone, but I want to play uh, Elena Kagan to the lawyer for the state of Colorado who's just like, why should one state get to decide who is going to be the president of the United States? And I thought it was like a pretty shocking moment here. There has to be here. some process for determining those questions. And then the question becomes, does anything in the 14th Amendment say that only Congress can create that process? And, and Section 5 very clearly is not an exclusive provision. It says Congress shall have power. But maybe and put m most boldly, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president. No, there has to be some process. It shocked me. It shocked me. I thought I thought we had for sure all of the libs that are on the Supreme Court right now are purely just activi activists from the bench. I, I yeah I agree I think they are I mean what was the language she used she said that a, a single state shouldn't be able to decide who becomes president yeah 
In my mind, being cynical, I, I would guess that what she means by that is much more of like an anti-states rights, anti-electoral uh, college than it is like actually caring about Donald Trump's like right to be on the ballot in Colorado. Because you could kind of read into that and hear, you know, imagine a scenario where it comes down to uh, Brandon wins the popular vote by 10 million votes, but because Trump won Michigan or something. Well, then the libs would say, well, why should Michigan be able to decide this if all these other people in California and New York and Texas over this, or not Texas, well, in a few more years, probably. Um, so that's kind of my more cynical view of it, I suppose. I don't think that they actually care about upholding the Constitution. I think that they're definitely activists. I mean, that's how they view their role. Um, but that's okay. They are being smart, too, because once Trump gets back in office and declares... <laughs> what? Go ahead. We've got less than a year. We're going to declare the Supreme Court constitutionally invalid. <laughs> We're going to send half those people to Guantanamo Bay. And so they're being smart. They think that that'll save them. It might reduce their sentence, but uh, it's not going to save them. So, okay. So in all seriousness. <laughs> that was. So you do think that they will rule the right way on this? Because to me, I've seen I have seen them be so partisan, even at the highest level of, you know, the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah. At the highest level, I have seen them decide things in such a partisan manner on the left. Yep. The, because again, the right is always, well, we have to be the morality party. We have yep. to we have to make sure we're actually upholding the Constitution. They don't care. They don't give a crap. They just want their own uh, platforms and ideologies to be furthered. And so if this is even, if this, this would be like the final boss move. Right. Like yeah. we're like, yeah, we can squash Trump's chances of being on the ballot and then he'll have absolutely no shot. It's going to be the first of many. And we can be the ones to just completely nuke his entire presidential campaign. There's nothing he can do about it. And even this could be like an eight to one or like nine zero decision. Yeah, I think that uh, there's a, a dynamic occurring where who I refer to as the swamp elders, like the remnants of the class of people who actually built our political system into what it is today, that swamp, they are slowly retiring or dying off and transferring that power to whom I call the, the theater kids, like these dorks who go and get an MPP from George Washington University and think they're all that. They want to, you know, LARP their, their Veep fantasy or their West Wing fantasy. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of people who call for blood, who call for Trump to be removed from the ballot. But I think that the people who are actually in these positions, whether it be on you know, the Supreme Court or deciding who gets fortified and who doesn't, I think they understand that the way the wind is blowing, they're probably going to have to let Trump get back into office. And I think that what they know they depend on more than anything is the perceived legitimacy, is, is being able to say our democracy and doing something like this is not exactly conducive to that because, I mean, it's like you said, hands on the talking points on a platter. Our democracy, they just removed him from the ballot in Colorado. So if I had to mm -hmm. guess if they're going to keep Trump out of office, it's going to be much more about fortification, much more about mm -hmm. impeding him like they did in his first administration, uh, assuming he gets back into office than it is just saying straight up like, no, you can't even be on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they're going to try it on all fronts, uh, as many fronts as they can. Um, but you bring up a good point with the for the fortification wink in that a lot of these states have not passed any laws to prevent yeah. all of those things from happening again when you're talking about the way that that they vote, the way that they turn in uh, their vote, early voting, uh, the ballot boxes, things like that. I mean, a lot of these states have not even fixed that. So I listen, I'm I'm all like I will crawl over broken glass to go vote for the guy in the 2024 election, but I'm not convinced that it will just all be for naught if 
we, we don't have serious, serious eyes um, and measures on making sure that all that funny business, all those, what was it last time, like a busted pipe or something, and they, oops, we had to clear it out. And all of a sudden, we stopped counting in the middle of the night when we had never done that before, and Donald Trump was ahead. And then, what do you know? We found enough ballots the next day uh, to go ahead and put Joe Biden in. So I just, I'm not convinced that, like, those are going to be corrected. And it's a really depressing place to be. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I remember even going down to uh, Cobo Hall the morning after the election. And that was where in Detroit, they were putting up the pizza boxes and they were blocking out the window. Ah. You couldn't see what was going on. And that was like the most just profound sense of like violation I've ever felt in my life. Like knowing what's happening, yeah. knowing I'm completely powerless to stop it. And now, you know, everything has moved on and everyone just sort of disregards that. Even a lot of people who claim to be Republicans say, well, we can't talk about that because, it, you know, that was then and this is now. And, you know, we sound like losers or whatever. And it's like, well, then how can you expect anything to change? I mean, Literally. Why hasn't there been more effort at, at the state level? We've got like, what, 25, 26 Republican governors, majority uh, uh, Republicans in state Congress in both houses, and they haven't like really tried to move the ball down the field on this issue. Why? Why might that be? What are they what are they really working to accomplish? Right. Right. Or or perhaps are they benefiting from it as well somehow? Exactly. Which is what it always comes down to. Um, OK, when we. Let's go ahead and take, we got to take another quick break. And then when we come back, let's talk about how the Senate spent your money today. Congratulations, America. Your Senate has voted today 67 to 32 to advance a $95.3 billion foreign aid bill. So that bill that we just said, you guys, you can't do that. We can't spend this much money prioritizing uh, Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan and the Gaza Strip and all of these. Well, they so they just took out our own border security and they were like, fine, we just won't include anything for border security. And we'll just go ahead and give all of that money to all of these foreign entities uh, and protect their borders, I guess, rather than ours. So I want to read the Republicans who voted in favor of spending your money in all these other places. Okay. This is of course, Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Shelley Moore Capito, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, John Cornyn, who is a disgrace to the state of Texas, Joni Ernst, Chuck Grassley, John Kennedy, Jerry Moran, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Mike Rounds, Dan Sullivan, Tom Tillis, John Thune, Roger Wicker, and Todd Young. I just was saying this yesterday. Who needs enemies with friends like these. Why in the world? Why? Why would we vote for you guys to represent us? Only for you to go there and piss our money away for Ukraine and Israel. And they, why, those countries get to defend their borders. Those countries get to have their own borders. We don't. 
John's just you John's scared just me. You scared me. John's like John's like oh so cute this woman being emotional again. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking this is just the cost of empire, and I was fantasizing about an actual American empire where we go and we actually do take the oil, and then imagine gas is fifty cents, and every year you get like a two thousand dollar stipend for profits or thing like an actual American empire which serves the interests of the American people, a vehicle to forward their interests into the twenty first century. But instead, we just have this like fake gay retarded empire where we're pissing money away to Taiwan. What even is that fake country? Ukraine, fake country. Israel, eh, I don't want to go there. But oh, you can't, you, you know, it just like doesn't even make sense. No one knows where these countries are. No one knows why we're involved in them uh, in their conflicts. But yet $100 billion to them. When I remember, I'm old enough to remember when we were fighting about $4 billion for Trump's border wall. And that couldn't be done because it was a waste of money. But there's 25 times that just. I mean, you have even Lindsey Graham who is like the biggest Ukraine fanboy of all time. He wants to he wants to send all of our money to everywhere except uh, he wants to send it to Ukraine anywhere. He um, wants to put us in wars for for forever. I mean, course, this yeah. this guy should have no problem. He was even one of the dissenting votes because even Lindsey Graham understands that our border is a bigger national security threat to us in the short term than Ukraine. And Perhaps we should do a little bit more to secure it. When you've lost Lindsey Graham on the foreign aid bill, you've lost Lindsey Graham yeah. on on providing uh, aid for for foreign countries. You've lost the plot, I would say. Yeah, I, I think we have to remember too, like Mitt Romney, for example, he voted in favor of this. Mitt Romney is somebody who our base was relatively excited about ten. Ugh. 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, and so sometimes I look at the way that these people keep getting elected and I look at the way that there are so many Republicans who are so quick to dismiss Donald Trump and his policies mm-hmm. and his energy. And I, I sort of think, and people are going to hate this, they're going to be like, you're part of the cult. We like really don't deserve Donald Trump. Like I this mean, is you the, are part of the cult. This is the same group of people <laughs> who was so are. excited about George Bush, so excited about Mitt Romney, uh, John Were McCain. they though? Were they? Not as, well, not as excited about Trump, but like they still voted. They were still, you know, yeah, but subscribing I've, to the talking points. I mean, I don't know that I, I don't know anyone who I will just point out as if it's not completely obvious. I'm a little older than you, John. OK, so I was like Only slightly a little a little bit more in this whenever. I mean, I remember the Mitt Romney days, the John McCain days, and I don't ever I mean I never supported them in the primaries I don't ever recall passion for them it was just more of what we always get stuck in which is I mean now he's the candidate so all of these all of these people in the Republican Party said well we can't win with someone radical we have to have someone moderate and then they're the candidate and you're like well yeah I mean I want him more than Obama or like John Kerry right so but I never I don't think it was a passion so much as just like well we have to we have to rally around the guy now yeah I don't maybe I think I maybe I'm a bit biased because uh, we live in Texas. So occasionally I'll see someone driving around with the Bush Cheney sticker on their truck Ugh. still. Uh, it's a nice pickup truck. I mean, it lasted them a while, but it is interesting to see that sort of like, you know, the remnants of the like early 2000s GOP political culture, uh, which, you know, Donald Trump broke from that orthodoxy and all of those strategists and consultants left over and they hated him for it. Then they cozied up, got jobs in the administration and they just subverted it from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I, but I mean, you know, now. Of course, I would hope that uh, the House would vote against it. I know this is just this is just to um, to move to the floor to have debate on it. So maybe maybe the final maybe the final uh, tally will be different. But 
again, for me, it's a non-starter. Like, no, you don't need to debate this. You don't need to you don't need to further the bill. If you have a vote to just say no. I mean, what was the point of the previous vote to not uh, attach all of these other foreign countries to our own border security bill? Like what what was the point of all of that? If you guys are just going to turn around and be like, well, we'll consider it. Yeah, now we're not even getting fake border security. It's like even worse, and we're still getting rinsed right. for money. Well, it's like, I, what, what was what was taking that stand all for if it yeah. was like, oh, you're still going to vote for all of the foreign aid or at least vote to consider the foreign aid? What the hell was the point of taking that stand if you're like, I don't know, you might be able to sway me this time around. I mean, I just I just per- I took a pretend stand that that's all that it was when, you know, we're dealing with a time where, uh, you know, just 30,000 migrants from countries like Turkey, Russia, Afghanistan and Somalia with possible ties to terrorism were released into the United States over the last 15 months. It's so bizarre because in our century of just pouring money into these countries, they haven't really improved their standard of living. All the money did was enable them to breed more. And now they're all just coming to live in our country. And so we didn't even like get anything except just more people who then come to the country and it's not even like they're here because then they want to contribute. Finally, they just come to get more stuff. So it's like we're giving money directly to the country and then they they increase their population. We got like one and a half billion Africans now. And then they're coming over here from Somalia, from all these other countries. We don't even know where. And then they just come in here and then they want to get free stuff too in America. And then they're getting mad because they're not getting free stuff because it's too cold in America for X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, maybe you should have just stayed over there. Me? Well, I don't know. I mean, you didn't. Okay. You're here now. I'll buy you a one-way ticket back to wherever the f- came from. Yeah, you know, repay. I literally like, like give send go. Let's start a give send go, John. Let's start a give send go for any migrant who isn't happy with what they're getting in the United States. For any migrant who decides we're not nice enough to them, we will personally fund your ticket right back to where you came from. We should start sending like making propaganda campaigns on TikTok showing like the cold, rainy streets of like downtown Dallas or something. And it's all sad and bleak. And then like tropical paradise back in (laughs) South America, back in Africa, being like, you shouldn't have to live like this. Let's get you home. Let's let's get you. Let's reunite you with your family and loved ones. Nine to five. Look at how sad these people are. Look at you've got like open air street markets and festivals and dancing. That looks like so much fun let's get you home it's booming yeah uh just on this topic since we're talking about all of these other countries your thoughts on the latest election in el salvador funny you ask i am thrilled uh i think that he's doing great work and you know i've been a big fan of this guy since yeah, i know that's why i wanted to ask you um and it, it came just in time for your birthday as well it was almost <laughs> as though god really put things to just put a nice little little bow on that but uh you know he's providing a great model for i think the right in in the west in the world going forward i mean the guy took a country which literally was the most dangerous country on the planet, and now it is safer than the United States. Mm. They have a lower murder rate than the United States does, Crazy. and it's because they just arrested criminals. And this this made me so mad, I almost put a hole in the wall. I didn't, but that's like, you know, when you're a white male, you have that sort of risk, and you see, you see drywall, yes. and you get yes. triggered. Yes. I watched a, a little mini documentary on Bloomberg, and they were talking about this guy, and they're interviewing these people, and they're like, we can go outside now. This is great. These people live in El Salvador, and he his put you know one percent of the population or something in jail and so that's like the first five minutes and then it pivots to but some are concerned about the human rights blah 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 and then they interview somebody and they're like he arrested my daughter because he said she was in a gang and so i'm like what was she and we didn't find out (laughs) of course you didn't because we know the answer was yes yeah and so it's like who can go ahead 
Who cares about human rights? Just make the country safe. We gotta go. <laughs> Before we go, I did want to give a thank you. This is so sweet. It showed up um, in the mail that a viewer, an anonymous viewer, sent me a picture. Congrats with the premiere of your new program, Unfiltered. I wish you great success. I've been a viewer of the News and White Matters for several years and greatly appreciate the information and truths it has provided. As a professional artist, I have enclosed the best way I have to thank you uh, for your effort, and I look forward to you continuing to do so unfiltered. And it's a painting of me. Isn't that so nice? I am, I was like, I it, literally, I was like, wow, I'm going to cry. So I just wanted to say thank you. That's a, that was very, very kind. Um, and I definitely will hang this up. I'm not, I need to find the right place for it. But I appreciate that so much. And guys, leave a message in the comments and tell us how much you loved John Doyle being on the show. It really gets me through the week, folks. I'll tell you. <laughs> And make sure to check his channel out. It's Heck Off Kami. And uh, we will see you guys tomorrow. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.